0: This week on Cinematic Sound Radio. Today we'll be playing music from new and recent CD releases, including selections from Thor Ragnarok, LBJ, Wonderstruck, Happy Death Day, Knock, The Rendezvous, Tokyo Ghoul, and Blade Runner 2049. My name is Eric Woods. Thank you very much for joining me. Sit back, pick up your feet and relax as Cinematic Sound Radio begins now.
1: Streaming on the web since 1996. This is Cinematic Sound. From Kitchener, Ontario,
0: Canada, you're listening to Cinematic Sound Radio, the show dedicated to the music of film, television, and video games. I'm Eric Woods. Hello to all of our listeners at WROCK Radio at WROCKRadio.com, CinematicSound.net, and through iTunes, Stitcher. Pocket Casts, TuneIn, Google Play, or wherever great podcasts are found. It's great to have you on board. If you're listening to this program on iTunes, please take the time to rate and review the show. It really helps us get the show noticed. Today is another new releases program. We have eight of them for you today, ranging from big Hollywood blockbusters to small independent fair and everything in between. So let's get started. We're going to start with Thor Ragnarok with original music composed by Mark Mothersbaugh and the film is directed by Tiaka Watiti who has directed such films as What We Do in the Shadows and my personal favorite film of his Hunt for the Wilder People and if you haven't seen that movie I highly recommend you check it out. Chris Helmsworth returns as Thor and Tom Hiddleston reprises his role as Loki in this movie. Composer Mark Mothersbaugh recorded his score in London Abbey Road Studios. He is arguably the most daring composer choice in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, although I don't think anybody thought that Ramin Javadi was going to score Iron Man 1. So... I think we all thought that there was no way that Mark Mothersbaugh is going to finish this score. No way. He's going to have to be replaced by, by someone else. <laughs> it's just almost guaranteed because he's just such an out-there choice, a very bold choice, one that I welcomed. And so I'm so glad that he stayed on board and wrote the score that he did. Now, Mothersbaugh and Watiti shared an interest in retro synthesizers and so Mother's Ba, of course from Devo went back and dusted off a few of his vintage keyboards and mixed those with a 100 piece orchestra at Abbey Road to create their own take on the sound of the Marvel Cinematic universe mothers bog had this to say about the scores uh for recent marvel films quote it's not a secret that marvel has taken hits in the last year or so people have criticized their scores for being underwhelming so we decided we wanted to up the ante with this score for marvel we decided to take the challenge and add some new material to it so, essentially, Watiti gave Mother's ba a playlist of music that he liked, and it was a wide range of music, and none of it was orchestral, which is actually kind of funny. But in order to pay homage to superheroes, Mother's Ba thought that there was no better way to do that than with a hundred-piece orchestra. However, in the script, there were wonderful moments for Mother's Bog to break out his traditional and very well-known and patented synthesized sound. And this sort of sound was used almost exclusively for the future planet, ruled by the Grand Master, played by Jeff Goldblum, who throws disco parties and even DJs his own dance tracks. And so that gave Mothersbaugh an excuse to find a whole new sound for this marvel cinematic universe on top of the new material mother's ba did utilize some previous existing themes such as patrick doyle's noble theme for thor from the first thor movie joe harnell's lonely man theme from the incredible hulk television series and there's a nod to the avengers and doctor strange as well this score is pretty much everything you could ever want out of the 17th marvel cinematic universe Creating something new, but also referencing the stuff that came before it. Mothersbaugh's score is eclectic, powerful, funny, breathtaking, full of personality. It's memorable and a boatload of fun. I'm pleased to open up today's program with a fantastic score to Thor Ragnarok, with original music composed by Mark Mothersbaugh. from the original motion picture soundtrack to Thor Ragnarok with original score composed by Mark Mothersbaugh. And the original soundtrack recording is available on Marvel Music and Hollywood Records.
1: You're listening to the film, television, and video game music radio show, Cinematic Sound.
0: Welcome back to the show. Up next is music from the American Political Drama directed by Rob Reiner and written by Joey Heartstone called LBJ. This film stars Woody Harrelson as the president Lyndon Johnson and it centers and the story centers around the political upheaval that Vice President Johnson faced when he was thrust into the presidency at the hands of an assassin's bullet in November of 1963. And that, of course, is when JFK was assassinated. With political battles on both sides of the aisle, Johnson works to heal a nation and secure his presidency by passing Kennedy's Historic Civil Rights Act. Unfortunately, the early buzz on this film isn't good, but that really doesn't matter as we have another Rob Reiner film. And, well, what does that mean for us? We get another dramatic Mark Shyman score. Now, Mark Shyman's film music career began in theater and soon moved on to film scoring. And Shyman and Reiner first worked together on 1989's When Harry Met Sally. Shyman worked with Harry Connick Jr. on arranging big band and orchestral pieces for that film. But Scheinman's first real film score came a year later on another Reiner film, Misery, which, in my opinion, is one of the greatest film music debuts of all time. The two have worked together since. Scheinman may be known more for his more upbeat, Broadway, over-the-top scoring style, but he is arguably one of the best dramatic composers of our time. Just listen to a few good men the American president ghosts of mississippi simon birch and patch adams for wonderful examples of shyman's dramatic touch lbj is an extension of those scores the music is rich grounded deeply emotional and reflective but on the flip side it's warm patriotic bold and triumphant i said this in a chat a few days ago that this score transports me back to the mid-90s when Shyman was working on The American President and hearing dramatic scores of that sort that weren't relegated to just drones and stock loops without having anything interesting to say. Shyman is a brilliant musical storyteller and is a sensational orchestrator. Even the darkest passages in this score are stunningly beautiful. It's amazing what someone can accomplish with just strings, woodwinds, piano, and a harp. This music is gorgeous. I'm now pleased to present Mark Shimans, LBJ. Music from the original motion picture soundtrack to LBJ with original score composed and conducted by Mark Scheinman and the original soundtrack recording is available on Lakeshore Records.
1: The home for film, television and video game music since 1996. This is Cinematic Sound. Welcome back to the program.
0: Up next is music from the film Wonderstruck, with original music composed by Carter Burwell. This film is based on Brian Selznick's critically acclaimed novel, which tells the story of Ben and Rose, their children from two different eras, who secretly wish their lives were different. Ben longs for the father he has never known, while Rose dreams of a mysterious actress whose life she chronicles in a scrapbook. When Ben discovers a puzzling clue in his home, and Rose reads an enticing headline in the newspaper, both children set out on quests to find what they are missing that unfold with mesmerizing symmetry. In the script, it specified that Rose's segments in the film would be silent because her character is deaf. So the music had to play a large role in her scenes because there's a lack of dialogue and a lack of sound effects in Rose's section. So the film was presented essentially as a silent film. However, Carter Burwell supplied those scenes with wall-to-wall music. That's how important his score is to this movie. I don't think that there is ever a moment in the movie where it is completely silent. And that was a brand new challenge for Burwell. Thematically, Rose has a theme and Ben has a theme. Carter Burwell initially tried to make the orchestrations not sound specific to the time period they were living in. Since they live 50 years apart, one is in 1927, while the others in 1977. But in the end, Carter Burwell decided that Ben's world would be driven by guitars and synthesizers, while Rose's world would be more driven by acoustical instruments. The score is poignant, emotional, light, and mesmerizing. A rhythmic sensibility is really the score's backbone and gives the score a wonderful forward momentum, which many have said helps with the flow of the film and helps with the flow of this score album as well. A wonderful accomplishment by Carter Burwell. Here is Wonderstruck. Music from the original motion picture soundtrack to Wonderstruck, with original score composed by Carter Burwell. And the original soundtrack recording is available on Lakeshore Records.
1: On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is Cinematic Sound. The last score you're going to
0: hear this hour Comes from the horror film Happy Death Day with original music by Bear McCreary. This is a slasher film directed by Christopher B. Landon, and it actually opened up number one at the box office during its first weekend. The film follows a college student who is murdered on her birthday and begins to relive the day over and over again. At that point, she sets out to find the killer and stop her Death. Basically, it's another remake of Groundhog Day. Not an original concept, but people loved it. The score for the film was composed by one of the busiest composers working today. Now, this is Ennio Morricone territory we're talking about. Bear McCreary is just working his ass off these days. Actually, it's not just this year. It is every year, It's like he's working on a half a dozen projects at once, everything ranging from film to TV. It's insane. And the quality of those scores? Absolutely incredible. Now, what Bear McCreary tried to do was to balance the horror and dark comedy in the movie. The score had to reflect this. So there are lighthearted, warm, and youthful cues And at the other end of the spectrum is some of the most aggressive horror scoring heard in years. The score is centered around Tree's theme, written for the main character. It comes back in variations and is played every repeated morning she experiences. The killer also receives a theme. Now, since the killer has no voice, McCreary gave the antagonist a musical one. Since the killer wears a baby mask, McCreary used an actual baby's voice in the score. The voice, well, it was McCreary's own daughter. The rest of the score is made up of electronic samples, sound effects, and a massive orchestra, which really gets the adrenaline pumping. The recording is also superb. The engineer was Vitek Kral. There are some additional composers listed on the back of the album, but there's no indication of how much they wrote or what they did. Sure, they did a great job because the score is fantastic, and the score was performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra and was conducted by Richard Hine. Here now is Bear McCreary's horrific music from Happy Death Day, and the original soundtrack recording is available on Backlot Music.
1: And streaming on the web since 1996, this is Cinematic Sound.
0: Welcome back to Cinematic Sound Radio. I'm Eric Woods, and on today's program we're featuring some new and recent CD releases, kind of a, a new releases roundup. We have so many more new releases that have come in, in just in the past couple of days, and I promise we will get to those in the next few weeks. Up first this hour, you're going to hear music from a film called Knock, with original score composed by Cyril Ophar. And it's a French comedy directed by Lorraine Levy, starring Omar Sy in the title role. The Knock is a classic French play, which already had several adaptations on screen as well. It tells the story of a Dr. Knock, who arrives to a town whose patients are too healthy. By using his charming personality and cunning deceit, the good doctor convinces everybody about having some sort of great illness. The score for the film is composed by Cyril Ofor, who has worked with Alexandre Desplat as an orchestrator, co-composed a score with Gabriel Yarid called The Royal Affair, and has worked on his own projects like Splice The A Perfect Man, along with some documentary work. The score to knock is anchored by one of the best themes and cues you're going to hear all year. It'll begin this suite, and the theme belongs to Nock. The secondary theme belongs to Nock's love interest, Adele. It's basically the polar opposite in tone to Nock's theme. It's very feminine and delicate. The third and final theme brings these two characters together. It's a love theme. And there's a melody for a character named Lansky, who knows the truth about Nock and has an espionage flavor to it. This is one of my surprises of the year, and again, we should all applaud Mikael Carlson at Movie Score Media, who over the course of many years, I think it's a decade, that he's been bringing us these gems that would certainly have never been released. Here now, music from The Knock, featuring a delightful score by Cyril Ophor. Music from *The Knock*, with music composed by Cyril Ofor, and the original soundtrack recording is available digitally through Moviescore Media and Quartet Records. We'll be releasing the physical copy of the score
1: on the air and streaming on the web since 1996. This is Cinematic Sound. Welcome back to the program.
0: Up next is music by Austin Wintery and the film The Rendezvous. The Rendezvous is a desert chase romantic adventure starring Stana Katik and Raza Jaffrey about a Jewish doctor and an Arab American bureaucrat chasing an ancient scroll across the Middle East. Director Amin Metelka describes the central themes of the score. Like this. First, there's a desert adventure theme, which is a long, exotic melody that sets up the Hitchcockian tone of the film. Secondly, there's a mysterious scroll theme, as first heard in the film's opening prologue, then returns anytime someone references the ancient Dead Sea Scroll that drives the story and its call for the Armageddon. It's actually played by a combo of soloists, Tina Guo on the cello and saxophonist Ian Roller and those two sounds gives the theme an instant creepiness. Thirdly, there's David's theme. This is the innocent childhood theme that only plays a couple of times in the film but it hits Rachel's emotional center the loss of her brother who gave his life to save the scroll and protect it from the evil cult. But folks... Here is the real kicker. And I pretty much welled up when I read this anecdote on Austin Wintery's website. And these are, again, director Armin Metelka's words, and it just floored me. So I quote this. Last but not least, I must share one very personal story to convey how much this score means to me. I lost my wife, Claire Nabber to cancer on the last day of this film's production. Six years prior, I had written a melody for Claire in the lead-up to our wedding, and Austin had arranged and recorded it with a quartet to which Claire walked up the aisle. I called it Claire de Claire, and it was something from the heart that I felt captured Claire's innocence and whimsical, joyous outlook on the world. As I finished editing and post on the rendezvous, I dedicated the film to Claire. At the end of the recording session in Colorado with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, there was one piece of music left that I hadn't heard in Austin's mock-ups. He wanted to save the best for last. The end credit suite begins as a recap to the film, but then the orchestra comes to a silent pause, and then the Claire de Claire begins playing on solo cello, then oboe, and then full orchestra takes over, celebrating the joyful spirit of Claire. Tears flooded from my eyes the moment I was struck by the wall of emotion. It was once again, Austin doing his magic to lift me up with his music. For us, these indie films somehow became a very personal stamp on where we were in our lives. Hopefully, this is only just the beginning of a long journey ahead. Um, I, I really don't know Austin Wintery personally. However, I did have the pleasure to talk to him on another radio show. And I think I might have taken over that radio program. So Robert Daniels, I I apologize. But I think Austin and I talked almost exclusively for an hour. Anyway, uh, before that time, I I really hadn't connected to Austin's music. However, after that interview, I decided to go back and listen to his music again. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And I, I don't know what clicked, but maybe it's just the fact that Austin's such a great guy, a really nice guy, an open guy, willing to talk about anything. But then when I read stuff like this, uh he's just a wonderful human being as well i i am I'm, I'm just blown away by by this gesture, and as i said i I was pretty much moved to tears myself when i when I read this story. anyway, I'm pleased to present now music by austin Wintry and, and by the way, this score is a, is a hoot it's it's like a it's like as if a, a a large scale symphony orchestra is playing a huge action score, but sort of in in a jazzy sense. It's really unique. The orchestrations are fantastic. I think Austin Wintory is, is just one of the brightest, greatest talents out there. One day he's going to get his big break, folks. And this guy is doing stuff with an orchestra and coming up with ideas that no one really thinks of. This is fantastic music, and I'm I'm really glad he sent it to me. I'm really glad that he was able to share that story, not just with me, but with us. If you check it out, you can go to Austin Wintery's Bandcamp page and read that story. So here is The Rendezvous written by the magnificent Austin Wintery. deeply emotional yet very fun adventure score from a film called the rendezvous with original music composed by austin wintry the score is available on Bandcamp, so head over to austinwintry.bandcamp.com
1: to purchase the score you're listening to cinematic sound with your host eric woods
0: Welcome back to the program. Up next, music from Tokyo Ghoul with original score by Don Davis. It is great to say that guy's name again on the program in introducing a brand new score. So cool. Tokyo Ghoul is a Japanese dark fantasy action horror film based on the manga series Tokyo Ghoul. The film is set in an alternate reality where ghouls, individuals who can only survive by eating human flesh, live among the normal humans in secret, hiding their true nature to evade pursuit from the authorities. The film was released in Japan in July of 2017. Now, let's backtrack a bit. Let's talk about Don Davis, okay? So, back in 1999, Don Davis scores one of the biggest surprise hits of all time, The Matrix, directed by the Wachowski siblings. He then went on to score the other two films in the series. In doing so, he created one of the greatest trilogy of film scores of all time, each one a classic in their own right. During that time, Davis was hot. And during that time, he was also working on such projects as Antitrust, The House on Haunted Hill, Jurassic Park 3, The Unsaid, Behind Enemy Lines, and two Matrix short films. Before 1999, he was a rising star, orchestrating for James Horner, while also creating his own superb catalog of film scores, including The Beast, Bound, Warriors of Virtue, and House of Frankenstein. But after 2003, he fell off the face of the earth. Now, it's rumored that he wrote demos for the Wachowskis' Speed Racer, which is odd, since they had already been working with Davis ever since Bound, but for some bizarre reason, they went with Michael Giacchino instead and have since formed a bond with that Oscar award-winning composer. So after that letdown, Davis worked on a few documentaries and smaller, low-budget pictures, but he was no longer in demand for larger budget blockbuster films anymore. But one of the main reasons for his absence was to work on his opera, Rio de Sangre, an opera that didn't premiere until 2010. Now let's skip ahead to 2017 and it took a Japanese-produced film to bring Don Davis back into the spotlight. I can't begin to tell you how great it is to see Don Davis' name back on the front cover of a soundtrack album. The score for Tokyo Ghoul was written for a large orchestra and a battery of electronic percussion, but it's the orchestral material that really shines here. Davis could always get a big sound out of the orchestra, and he does just that with this dynamic work. I'm going to be playing some outstandingly dark and tremendously gothic cues for you in this suite, and they're truly fantastic. Now, is this a sign that Davis will be back scoring major Hollywood fare? I highly doubt it. I don't even know if this film will be viewed in major markets outside of Japan, but let's just celebrate the fact that we have a new Don Davis score and hope for the best. But man, is his voice sorely missing in mainstream film these days, so it's great to hear a brand new work from the great Don Davis. This is Tokyo Ghoul. Music from the original motion picture soundtrack to Tokyo Ghoul with original score composed and conducted by Don Davis and performed by the Nashville Scoring Orchestra. And the original soundtrack recording is available on Milan Records. Well, we've sadly come to the end of yet another edition of Cinematic Sound Radio. Thanks to everyone at W Rock Radio for helping me get this show on the W Rock Radio airwaves. Check them out at WRockRadio.com. Also, feel free to reach out to Cinematic Sound Radio by emailing me at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. Don't forget to visit cinematicsound.net to hear an archived version of this show and years of previous programming as well. And of course, we're on iTunes. And if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It really helps get the show noticed. I also want to thank Tim Burton for lending us his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show and composer David Cassina for writing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. Last but not least, is music from Blade Runner 2049 with original score composed by Benjamin Walfish and Hans Zimmer. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here, folks, because I really, really enjoyed this movie and I really want to talk about it. I also want to talk in depth of what I thought about the score. So I hope you don't mind me kind of chatting for a little bit longer than I normally would about a particular film now there really is a lot I want to say about this movie but so little time so I'm going to try to fit this all in so hopefully it's coherent first off let me just say that I I love this movie it's one of the best sequels ever made I mean you can watch this film on its own I mean you don't even need to see the original to get what's going on in this movie it really stands on its own Uh, But what is great about this movie is that it took what was so amazing about the first film and expanded on it. There's creative new ideas, world-building, expanding the tonal palette of the film. It asks new questions. It still keeps the main question whether Deckard is a replicant unanswered. At least it's still left unanswered to me, and I think that is absolutely fantastic. It introduced us to some new and fascinating characters and technology, especially Joy played masterfully by the lovely and extremely talented Anna de Arma. Joy is an artificial intelligent product made by the Wallace Corporation. She's basically a lifelike hologram that keeps K, a Nexus nine replicant played pitch perfectly by Ryan Gosling company at home. Kay is in love with Joy, and Joy, I guess, is programmed to love Kay, but I do think that within her programming that she has the ability to grow and love the person who purchased her. In any case, their relationship is utterly fascinating. I got more out of their relationship, actually, than I did out of Deckard and Rachel's in the original. I could feel the love, the admiration between Kay and Joy, unlike Deckard's relationship with Rachel, which Deckard pretty much forced upon Rachel, and it was kind of creepy. The scenes that really stuck with me were the ones with Joy in it. Yes, for sure, Anna de Arma is very easy on the eyes, but she's more than just beauty. Her scene in the rain, for example, just absolutely floored me. And for those that haven't seen the movie, Joy finally gets to experience rain the way you and I do. It's mesmerizing. Now we're going to move on to one of the film's greatest scenes, and one that will stay with me for many, many years to come. And it's the love scene between Kay, Joy, and the prostitute, Mariette. Joy, in this scene, is able to experience sex. For the first time in the traditional sense, by syncing her movements with Mariette's. Now, what's fascinating though is that the sync isn't perfect. And if Mariette moves one way too fast, Joy is slow to react, and vice versa. So they get out of sync. And what happens is that their faces blur. And, uh, and at times, you only see Joy's face or Mariette's face, or both at the same time, they blend together to form a, a, a really unique image. So when Kay, Joy, and Mariette become physical, it's fascinating to see how Joy reacts compared to Mariette, who has no emotional attachment to Kay. Joy's movements are fluid, delicate, and loving. Mariette, not so much. We don't actually see the lovemaking, but everything preceding it might be one of cinema's greatest love scenes. So much is said just by... Simple movements. It's really fantastic. I also mentioned the changing tonal palette. Yes, we get to revisit Blade Runner's rain-drenched LA that we grew to love in the first film, but we're also introduced to different environments and climates. We see snow for the first time. We see the orange hues of a wasted Las Vegas, which is just stunning to look at. The production design is breathtaking, and Roger Deakins' brilliant cinematography should finally garner him an Academy Award win. This is a a world that I, I dove right into from the first frame, and I didn't want to leave. The film is almost three hours long, but I would have loved for it to go on for another three hours more. I wanted to stay in that world and soak up just every image. The last time a film made me feel this way was back in 2009 with James Cameron's Avatar. Now, I could go on, but I really do hope that this film finds an audience on home video it was a box office flop unfortunately but a critical success and of course those who saw the movie was singing its praises what killed it was the three-hour running time and the fact that it's not an action adventure science fiction film it's really a thinking man's science fiction movie and on top of that It does help to see the original, and if you don't like the original, you might not like this environment that you're going to get into with the second one, but I really do think it's an absolutely fantastic achievement, and Denis Villeneuve has just turned out to be one of the greatest directors working these days, even though I didn't necessarily agree with uh, some of the choices made in Arrival a couple of years ago, but I digress. As for the music... The bulk of the score was written by Benjamin Wallfish. Now, Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wallfish actually had a brief jam session before Zimmer went on his European tour this past summer. Now, while on tour, Wallfish composed the score. When Zimmer returned, he took 10 days between the European tour and the North American tour to fine tune the score with Wallfish. The score is functional. It does its job of creating atmosphere and at times mimicking the great Vangelis' score that came before it, but most of it is just clusters of chords and loud noises. Gone are most of the colors Vangelis used from the first film, and there are moments where the score becomes the central focus for all the wrong reasons. At times, the score just drowns everything out and creates something so uncomfortable and ear-splitting that you are begging... For the volume to be turned down that's not good scoring that's not what good scores do look i have no issue with a score standing out but when they become a nuisance that's when i have a problem melodically the score is lacking as well however there is a new theme heard in the middle of the picture that actually doesn't reprise itself until the end credits it's an odd tune that sounds very much like america the beautiful it's unintentionally funny and it really caught me off guard and caught me off guard for a bad reason now, I initially thought that Hans Zimmer's attachment to the film after Johan Johansson's dismissal was a fair choice, especially after hearing what he did with Chappie, which was an all-electronic score from a few years back, which is surprisingly good and features a very touching theme for the Chappie character. Instead, most of Wallfish's and Zimmer's score is a barrage of noises, chords, and clusters, with the intention of creating a more contemporary sound with 40-year-old technology, including the use of the recognizable Yamaha CS80, which is what Vangelis used to compose his score for the original 1982 film. With that being said, I'm wondering what Johansson did that was so wrong that he was replaced by a score that essentially is in his wheelhouse. Anyway, like I said, I could talk for ages about this film. Most of it I enjoyed, I'm going to say 95% of it was fantastic. It was the music that kind of took me out of it a few times. But besides that, it's a film I cannot wait to revisit. So here now to end off today's show, here is Benjamin Walfish and Hans Zimmer's score to Blade Runner 2049. The original soundtrack recording is available on Epic Records. My name is Eric Woods. I've been your host for the past two hours of film music. I really hope you enjoyed today's program. And until next time, take care and happy listening. Thank you for listening to Cinematic Sound Radio. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, please email us at, sound at yahoo.com. Don't forget to check us out at Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net on the web, CinSound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on iTunes, why don't you take a moment right now and rate the show and write a brief review? All reviews help us get noticed on iTunes. And don't forget to tell all your friends about the program as well. Share this show on your favorite social media network. We really appreciate all the support. And don't forget to check out our affiliate at WRockRadio at
2: WRockRadio.com.